Why do kids play sports? Is it to go pro or earn a scholarship? Or are they looking for extraordinary experiences that they can build on for the rest of their lives? I'm Coach Dave Vasileros, and this is the Dad Bod Soccer Podcast, where we will explore life lessons and universal truths taught by youth sports. I want to help the next generation of parents and coaches keep youth sports about the kids. And I am so glad that you're joining me. Welcome back to the Dad Bod Soccer Podcast. I'm Coach Dave. And before we dive in, can I ask you all a favor? Would you please follow and share this podcast? It's starting to make a difference. Listeners are contacting me with Kid First coaching stories. They, they want to talk about their own experiences. They're asking me questions. This morning, I chatted with an old friend who's on a train from New York to Boston for about 30 minutes about his experiences. It was amazing. I'm building my Kid First coaching certification program for coaches, clubs, schools. And my dream is for every youth sports coach to be Kid First certified, just kind of like we do with concussion training and child safety and everything. All right. Enough of that. Today, I have one of those rare chances to bring somebody onto the podcast who is already making the kind of impact on dads and families and kids that I hope to have someday on coaches. Justin Batt has taken the parenting world by storm with his Daddy Saturday movement. Justin, I have loved listening to your podcast, reading your epic Daddy Saturday stories. There's some pretty amazing things. I'm so glad that you've joined us. Thanks, man. Oh, Dave, my pleasure. Glad to be on with you and excited to have a conversation. Uh, this is going to be great. Well, so the vast majority of people who make youth sports run in this country are the parents of the kids playing. I mean, like 90%. When I talk about kid-first coaching, I realize that I'm talking to millions of dads and moms and step-parents and maybe grandparents, but adults that are intimately involved with their kids' lives. So getting a chance to hear how you've helped dads is like right up my alley. So I'm going to ask you a ton of questions, give you the whole platform. First off, did you play sports as a kid or in your life? Has sports been a big, a big part of you? Yeah, sports has been a, a huge part of my life. It's a big part of my testimony and you know who I am and why I am where I am today. I grew up playing Northwest Ohio, small town called Bryan. It was home of the Etch-A-Sketch and the Dumb Dumb Sucker. So there wasn't <laughs> much to do outside of playing sports and grew up in a sports family. My dad played sports and it was very important to him. And that's how a lot of our interactions and time were spent together is my dad coaching all of my teams. I, at one point I was playing soccer, football, swimming, baseball and basketball. Oh my um, gosh. And probably running too. And, you know, playing every other thing that you could figure out how to play. So I always had a ball or a bat or something in my hand growing up. So sports were pivotal. And then mm -hmm. you know, I had grown over time and had gotten good at sports and football and baseball became my things. Football was really my, my love and my passion. And my senior year of high school, coach actually asked me to show everybody how to, how to hit first day of two-a-days. And I had all state potential and was you know, looking at some D1 schools, lots of D2, even D3 in Ohio. And that was my dream to go on and play college football. Yep. I tackled the guy, uh, landed on his shoe in my lower abdomen and thought I bruised my ribs, kept practicing. We had an inter-squad scrimmage afterwards, was falling down, dizzy, got home. My mom's a nurse, drank a bunch of Gatorade and said, I gotta go to the bathroom and just peed blood everywhere. Oh no! It was like, it was bad. Yeah. Takes me to the hospital. 
get the CAT scan immediately. And I see my mom crying. The doctor's a young guy. His face goes white. And I'm like, I'm in trouble. Oh, immediately no. life flighted in a helicopter to the major hospital and lacerated my kidney in three places. Thankfully, a doctor was there and he said, you know what? We'll leave the kidney in. He's young. Let's see if it'll heal. Healed up. And guess what my goal was? Come back What's and play that? football. I was healed. I came back and played my last five games, but just felt like God had a bigger plan for me. Went to Clemson. Mm. So I had to hang up the cleats and do everything else. But that yeah. was very transformational for me in, in a lot of capacities. One, because was sports shaped so much of my character, of my determination, mm -hmm. my resiliency, my personality. I learned a lot about who I am through playing sports. You know, my coaches were people that I looked up to and admired, life lessons I still remember today, still carry with me today you know, with my own kids and other kids that I coach. And then obviously it was very transformational because it's why I went to Clemson. That's where I met my yep. wife. That's where a lot of my oh, friends you know, came yep. from. It's why I am where I am today and why we lived in the Carolinas for much of our, our married life. Sports have played a huge role and continue to play a big role in my life. Yeah, all the way through. It's funny that, you know, when we're young, we think sports is the reason we do all the stuff that we do. And then when we get older, we look back and we see the threads tying together all these other really important relationships and experiences in our life around sports, like sports as a catalyst, but not as the end goal, right? You, right. even if you became a pro and you made all this money, eventually you're going to retire and eventually you're done with sports and now it becomes something else in your life. And you mentioned about your dad coaching, have some other coaches. Is there one coach that sticks out? who really made an impact, like that's the guy or the gal who, who stuck with you? Yeah, you know, I was, uh, I was fortunate and unfortunate because we had a lot of turnover in our coaching as when I get into high school. So some of the coaches that had been there, you know, when I was a kid growing up and I was like, I was always the ball boy or the, the bat boy or the statistician. Mm -hmm. So I was always the young kid, a part of the high school programs on the bus with the teams <laughs> around the programs. And so, you know, I, idolize those coaches because that's who I wanted to play for because I'd watched them and been around them at an early age. My favorite coach was, was Tom Held. He was our baseball coach. He left after my sophomore year. So my junior and senior year, he wasn't there. He'd been in the program for years. He just retired from Defiance High School. He is a mm -hmm. Hall of Fame coach, could have wow. coached at any level, multiple players in the pros, just wow. an unbelievable coach. And what I loved about Coach Held was he was the guy on the field. He just commanded respect. Discipline was so important. Mm. We had these stat sheets and the stat sheets were so critical because it wasn't just, did you get a hit or an RBI or did you make an error in the field? It was also the mental and the physical side of it, meaning, wow, did you make a mental error, right? And the mental errors, like there was punishment, there was consequences. You had to run 10 poles after the game if you made a certain yeah. mental error or if you made a physical error. It went down as a stat, right? Wow. You yeah. ran, you dove, you missed the ball. It was a tough play. Yeah. You know, it counted as an error in the books, but you gave mm -hmm. it your all. You just didn't make the play that time. But you didn't, you were in the right position. You weren't paying attention, right? You, you threw your bat when you walked back in the dugout after striking out. Now you got a consequence. Yeah. Dress the same way, mm -hmm. clean the field after the game. You leave it better than you found it. I mean, mm -hmm. so many of these life lessons that I learned course in the middle of those things i probably hated him through half of that stuff <laughs> but now looking back there's so many things i learned what i loved about coach held though and i told this story in a facebook post i wrote about him after his retirement was the fact that when i was a i think it was my freshman or sophomore year in high school so i wasn't in varsity yet and he asked me to build a web page for the high school program and this is like i'm dating my age now but like this was before websites were cool 
and nobody really had a website. There was like one program out of California. I think it's somebody out of Florida that had one. So he wanted to be way ahead of the competition. And he's just like, go figure it out. And he trusted me to go do it. And so during one of my computer classes, I would go and, and work on the website for the, the baseball program. And we did it and we had a website and I figured it out and it was super cool. And I just remember the confidence that that gave me and the fact that he would say, hey, I'm going to trust you to do this. And I trust that you're going to figure it out. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. So you got to go learn and figure it out. And I did. And I'll never forget that. So some of his lessons were more powerful off the field than they even were on the field as great yeah. of a coach as he was. Yeah. It, it, what I hear is a coach that you respected saying, I believe in you and I'm going to trust you with this thing, right? Whatever it was. In your case, it was a website. But to hear that in whatever words he used, but for a kid to hear that from a person, an adult in their life that they respect, they look up to, to hear that back is, I mean, for you, clearly stuck with you. I mean, it's been at least a couple of years since then. And I think about as a coach, and by the way, as a dad, we often think that our job is to teach by telling, hey, you should do this to be a good student. You should do this to be a good baseball player. You should do this to be a good kid. How many teaching opportunities are there for us as coaches and dads by invitation to say, here's a problem, man. I trust you. Can you can you just tackle this and solve it? And I'm here if you need me, you know, like that kind of a, that kind of an approach where it opens up the world. Like you looked at that and you said, okay, let's try it. And he had confidence in you. So you had confidence in yourself. That's, that's awesome. Like that's the story for kids. No, it's huge. And, and look, far more is caught than taught. That's one of our core principles mm -hmm. in daddy Saturday. And so you can sit there and try and tell a kid everything you want, but they're gonna learn far more from your example. So at the same time, you know, a lot of coaches are out there and it's like, if they're today, I coach my kids' teams. I do all the conditioning with them and I smoke them, right? And that's part of that's me staying in shape. Really? It's like, oh yeah, they gotta, they gotta catch coach and keep up with me and I don't take it easy on them, right? Mm -hmm. And we had this last year where I was coaching football and it was, it was seventh grade football and I had two of these kids that were big linemen and they were just loafing on the, one of these running drills. I came up behind them and I, I put my arms up underneath their pads and I literally picked them both up off the ground and I'm running with them. And they're oh like, their, their feet are barely hitting the ground and they're like <laughs> sprinting. And they got to the end and they both kind of collapsed. And their, their parents, their dads were right there. And it was so awesome because they're acting like they're going to die and have an asthma attack. And their dads <laughs> are sitting there like, that's awesome. And then we pulled it all back and said, hey, look, one, you're capable physically of doing far more than what your mind will allow. So mm -hmm. one, I didn't do anything that you weren't capable of. I just helped you break through a, literally a, a ceiling that you had that was yep. self-imposed that wasn't really yep. there. Yep. And so they learned that lesson and you know, it was super powerful. But I think back to your point, there are so many kids who we keep talking about parents you know, coaching their own kids and other kids. Mm -hmm. And I think the bigger play here is that there's 20 plus million kids in America who don't have a biological father living in the home. There are millions yeah. more of a father who's physically present, but he's emotionally absent. Yep. They drop their kids off at that practice, the father that's even in the home, right? Or the single mom. And that coach may be the only male father figure that that kid ever experiences or experiences yep. in that context. And so, yep. you know, as a coach, you have the ability to inspire, to change the trajectory of an entire kid's life based on makes me emotional thinking about it. One thing you say to a kid, right? So I write on my daughter's mirror with an Expo marker all the time. I write, I see you, 
you matter, you're beautiful. My -hmm. boys, it's I'm proud of you, you're strong and bold, and I love you, because boys don't often hear that from their dad, I tell them all the time, but it's important, and then you matter. And so, you know, I'm proud of you, I think boys need to hear that, that's essential. And girls, it's I see you, right? Mm -hmm. And because they wanna be seen, that's the big issue in our society today. So if you're coaching, you saying affirming words, and what you speak over these kids, yeah, you got to hold them to performance standards. Yes, if they're out of line and out of character, you got to yep. hold them accountable. But at the same time, like you speaking life over these kids is so important because mm-hmm. one thing you say can literally change the life of a kid. Some of the kids that I've coached long ago, they still will call me coach. And it's like flag football when they were six. I said something to them and they remember that like years later. And a lot of them are those that don't have an engaged dad or a dad in their life. And so I played that role and, and the hope is that they carry that with them the rest of their life. So super important what you're doing, Dave, and what all the coaches are doing out there. Yeah, that's so powerful. I'm glad you kind of connected that in because what, and I want you to talk now for a little bit about Daddy Saturdays, because it seems like there's, I mean, there's a lot of issues in the world, right? There's a lot of issues, big issues, but you've honed in on fathers, fatherlessness, and you mentioned it physically not present or present, but emotionally checked out. Yep. And, and by the way, I know that I am a weak and imperfect person who's a hypocrite and who often fails, right? I have yep. been physically present, but there absolutely have been times like bigger times and then moments where I'm emotionally not present. And I know that I recognize it and I know that yep. that's an issue, but you, you honed in on this issue. Why? Like it was really because of an awakening in my own life. Right. I was a corporate dad. My wife, I started her bridal store and we had our daughter at the time, Hayden Olivia, and then added three boys to the mix. So I was at home with all four of them on Saturdays all day and come home Friday, tired, exhausted, right? Have a couple cocktails to chill out and, you know, enjoy the evening and then wake up on Saturday. And I called it the dad hangover. I didn't have a plan mm-hmm. for the day and just was tired. And I had my kids for eight or 10 hours all day on Saturday. And it's like, what are we going to do to make this day yep. impactful? And God just gave me a wake up call and he's like, blessing or burden, inconvenience or an assignment. It's your choice. How are you going to handle the time I've given you with your kids? And I just said, okay, like I'm all in, I get it. And so I started to plan those days. We called it R and D rip off and deploy. So I go on YouTube and find the latest <laughs> challenge or, you know, some crazy idea. And then we go and implement it in our own backyard. And I'm like about as handy as nobody. And so like chip gains with my idol, cause I, I can do demo and that's about it. But <laughs> and try and build stuff and it, you know, have them be a disaster, but that was a large part of the fun as our pivots of what we do next. And, you know, the kids started looking forward to it. And eventually they started saying, Hey dad, what are we doing on Saturday? And then it was, what are we doing on daddy Saturday? So mm. they named it, we claimed it and that's what it became. And then uh, about five years ago, five and a half years ago, I gave a TEDx on fatherhood and mm-hmm. the TEDx was all about the resiliency of the American father. And I was using daddy Saturday as that platform of how mm. I had engaged my kids and we're helping you know, raise good kids to become great adults. And I heard about the issue in our country. I really wasn't aware of fatherlessness at the mm-hmm. level that it was. And the father wound that so many men experience yep. and that we all have. And that we, even the greatest dads, you know, I leave my own kids with father wounds, right? Absolutely. And so it's being aware of that. And then I wrote the book as a field manual to help dads just have a simple way to implement and to learn from my failures first and foremost, but also to take some of my wins and make them their own to do their own R&D. And then we launched the platform and the movement as a way to really expand that. And it's, you know, it's growing, it's going, 
in so many different directions at this point, but it's, you know, started in our backyard and I've really tried to keep it that way as our kids grow so that, you know, I'm focused, focused first on my own kids. And right. I tell people that I'm a better dad than they are only because I fail faster. I learn from those failures and then I, I implement and I fix. And then we do things that you know, move us forward as a family, move yep. me forward as a father. I'm very quick to ask for forgiveness yep. and I've, I learned my lesson. And then I help other dads not make the same mistakes. And that's my goal, yeah. right? Is how do I take, take decades at this point of being intentional as a dad and then turn that into days for other people. So they have that learning curve and my floor becomes their ceiling, right? Yeah. And they get to that point yeah. much quicker. And I think the biggest thing with that is this, right? Oh yeah. And my beautiful yep. wife is here. Yep. It's the better half. It's putting that down, right? I mean, that's the biggest inhibitor to fatherhood today. It's the biggest totally. issue our kids are facing today. And you know, that, that cell phone is the number one thing that causes that distracted, disengaged dad. It's the number one issue because it's, you know, yep. babysitting those kids that don't have a dad in their life and it's filling yep. that void and it's filling the wound that they have. And so I think whether you're a coach, a coach and a parent, a parent doesn't matter, right? How you use that device, far more is caught than taught is also important yep. for your kids. Understanding how that's impacting your life is the number one thing you need to control today. Yeah. Oof. And and I think I got a couple of things that based on what you just said, I think the um, the kids are using and the parents are using those digital devices. I have four sons. My youngest just turned 16 yesterday. So we're kind of past the the toddler phase and all that. But this, the issues still kind of remain of of digital babysitters. And, and and look, I'm not here to judge people, but I think it is important to point out. Yes, the kids can be babysat in air quotes with digital devices, but it's often the parents who are just escaping because it's easier to scroll, right? It's easier for me to get my phone out and check on what 50,000 strangers are doing than to put it down and connect with the people in front of me. Because guess what? The people, the strangers in my phone are here when I want them and gone when I don't. But my kids, they never go away. And sometimes that's like, please go away. But what we need to see that as, okay, they're here. I'm here. We know there's going to be ups and downs. That's why I love what you said about Daddy Saturday. Like you, you the, the rest of the week was just the week. They had school. You had work. There's chores. I'm sure some light arguing, kind of the things that families do. Yeah. But come Saturday, there, there is an opportunity to do something different. And I would, I would say on the sports side, you know, most kids who are playing sports are given up anywhere from, let's say, four to 10 hours a week to be with their coaches and their teammates, four to 10. So let's say that roughly equates to a Saturday. Now, what if coaches approached their training sessions and their pregame and game management like a daddy Saturday opportunity? Like, mm -hmm. hey, man. I don't know all the answers, but we're going to do this together. And I'm going to be really quick to say, sorry, we're going to try new things. And at the end of it, every single practice, every single game, you're going to know how I feel about you in my heart. This is something I wanted to get your thoughts on too. This concept of connecting, I think it's hard, right? I think we think we're connected when we're Facebook friends, or we connect on LinkedIn. Now we're connected. And that word has been kind of co-opted by this digital life yeah. that we're all living. But I think yeah. there's another way, maybe a, a richer and a more heartfelt way of understanding the word connecting, either with 
your kids, or in your case, with other dads that you're trying to help? How would you kind of contrast this digital connection with this other kind of heartfelt connection? It's a great question. It's a great point. And you're 100% right that this term connection has, has changed so much. And it's the biggest issue I see in the generation coming up, right? That your kids and my kids that are, that are older is when we asked our wives out of the date, like you had to physically walk up and that awkward moment of the fear of rejection, right? And that conversation <laughs> of what do I say? And like, oh, yeah. you know, how does that work? And you had to overcome that objection or the rejection that was there potentially, right? And then you had to make that the suave move and make the conversation happen. <laughs> and then you had to ask them out again. And it was that whole process. And now it's like, you literally find somebody online and you, you DM them or you connect with them, right? Yep. Because your profiles are similar. You have something in common. There's no pursuit anymore because now you just go out on a date or you're like, eh, I really don't like that person. So now you just ghost them and Cut then them off, you, yep. know, you, you unfollow them and that's it. That's the end of it. There's mm. no, there's no rejection. There's no difficult conversation. There's no mm. conflict. There's no, there's none of that. And so that's gotten removed from our society. So this whole concept today has been totally taken out. And I think that's where going back to sports and, and these coaches, right? You have an opportunity to talk about these things. Like these are life conversations mm. that you can have and help your kids understand this because unfortunately it's the way our society is today. A lot of parents are outsourcing to the institutions, their responsibilities as parents. Yes. And so yes. as coaches, because there may not be a father in the kid's life or because the parents aren't engaged or they don't have the, the moral high ground to be able to have this conversation, they're outsourcing that opportunity to you as coaches. And so you have a unique ability because when you have relationship, then you have the ability to make the deposits or potentially make some withdrawals in a positive yeah. way with that kid mm -hmm. because you have that relationship and that authority as a coach, you have permission. So you've got a unique opportunity to, to have those conversations and to make that impact and be that for those kids. I think it's important to focus on how do we have more face-to-face, -face, you know, kneecap to kneecap, eyeball to eyeball mm -hmm. type of conversations and connections mm -hmm. that are meaningful, that are either one-on-one -on -one or also, you know, in community or as a group or as a team, because that's the way we're going <clears> to <throat> get back to meaningful connections in our world. Yep. That's how we restore a lot of the values that are gone in our society today. Yeah. As you're talking, I, I see in my mind these two institutions that we're talking about primarily the family. And I believe the family is the bedrock of any healthy and successful society. It's got to be the family. The, the other institution is youth sports. And, and here's the funny thing. As you're talking, I'm like, wow, youth sports as a last bastion of, in a society that's getting more and more isolated from each other. And you're talking about the metaverse and you're talking about all the digital world that we live in. You have teenagers, you see a group of teenagers, nine out of 10 times, there's four teenagers and there's four phones and they're all looking at them and they're making comments on the phones or texting people who aren't there. And so I see this, this opportunity for youth sports. If you think about it, I mean, is there a youth sport where you can have your phone while you're doing it? I don't think so. I'd be shocked. I did have one kid once have his phone in his pocket at practice and I got really mad at him. And then I felt really bad because he told me it's because his dad had a really important phone call he was going to have to make about a family member or something. So then I apologize. But you can't, normally you can't have a phone in your hand at practice. It's no phones. It's just humans, right? Just humans. And in our families, it's a little harder, but I, I love this idea of using these opportunities 
to keep that old fashioned connection of eye to eye, kneecap to kneecap. I love that idea. I don't have sponsors, but there's a company that I want to tell you about. Kaye, which is spelled C-A-L-L-E, is a street soccer brand and nonprofit organization. Kaye's mission is to promote community-based street soccer courts where players can play street soccer for free. No coaches, no drills, just play. They donate 10% of all their sales to the nonprofit Free the Game, which builds public street soccer courts around the country. Check them out at kaye.com, C-A-L-L-E.com. I know you work with dads, right? You, you mentor, you coach, you've trained, you're speaking to them. Is there a dad or two dads in your mind who stick out as stories you would want to tell? Look, here are people who started at A and finished at B, and here's how their lives got better. Here's their relationships got better. For sure. I think the biggest thing that, that I tend to focus on, or it's in my own life, and it's what I do when I coach or mentor or train, is I have four buckets. The four F's, faith, family, fitness, and finances in that order. Mm. And they all flow downhill and they all impact each other. And so when I look at my life, I compartmentalize those things into those four F's. And if they're outside of that, then you know, I, I don't really have room for it. It's not impacting the mm. queries of my life. And so when I do an assessment with somebody, that's what I'll look at and say, okay, where are you in your faith? Or where are you with your relationship with your wife, with your kids? Where are you in your fitness and your health and your diet? And where are you in your sleep? And where are you with your, in your finances, meaning your career, your job, your, your financial stress and your financial plan being includes, yep. you know, having a will and a trust and things of that nature yep. as well. So we'll do an assessment. I'll look at where they are. And then it's, how do you move them from the bottom left quadrant? If that's where they are and and that one area or all those areas up to the upper right quadrant or get them on mm -hmm. that trajectory. And mm -hmm. I had a guy who was struggling in his faith, was, was having a hard time with his wife and their marriage, felt like he was a disengaged dad, was out of shape, overweight, and in his career was just starting to kill it and make some serious money. But he was at the same time, it was a trade-off for everything else, yeah. right? Yeah. That bottom bucket was impacting everything up above. And it's always personal, professional, and financial, right? Those are yeah. the three things. And it's always gonna impact one or all three of those and so his bucket was going uphill the wrong direction. We got his faith back in line. He started doing devotional, spending time with God. I use a concept called Two Chairs by a guy named Bob mm -hmm. Lodine. Great book, mm -hmm. phenomenal book. So I got him doing that, spending time with his heavenly father every day, spending time in the word, leading his family, started doing intentional things with his wife, taking her out on date nights and just spending time one-on-one -on -one and really starting to restore the relationship, bringing the intimacy back. I think mm -hmm. as, as coaches, this can happen a lot as men. We can, we can work shoulder to shoulder with our spouse. Sometimes potentially that's back to back if things are going well, but it's oftentimes we're not face to face with the intimacy, the relationship. Mm. How do you work shoulder to shoulder where it matters, but also get face to face. So we did that. And then with his kids, he had a really grew a deep relationship. Started doing daddy Saturday type principles, spending time, being engaged, being super intentional. And then financially, guess what? Everything started to grow. His job started to grow, helped him launch a, a new business idea, passive income stream started to come in and he was really on the right track. And then one of his children drowned in a pool. Oh my God. And lost oh one of his children. And no. I mean, it was so tragic and so hard. I was like struggling with it for a while. And I'm like, man, why would that happen? Like, it's just, it's one of those unfathomable things. But then I realized I was putting his life not to coach him. I was putting his life because 
I was able to be there for that moment, right? And help him through it. And because of the coaching, think of how he had grown in his faith and his relationship with the Lord. Think of how he had made that relationship with his wife and with his kids. He'd been intentionally, he'd had time with that child. Yep. They were very young, but still he was there. And so it just removed some of the, the guilt and some of the, the shame. And he had lost all this weight. He'd lost like 40 pounds in a short time frame and was feeling great and had more energy. And, and so he'd be around his kids and be engaged and all the things. And I think that's just a good lesson that we never know what's going to happen to us. And I think the, the key there that I'm so proud of him for, and this goes back to a key concept, is stop trying to be the hero and be the guide to your kids and to your teams. Because if it's your kids, you already are the hero and you always will be. If you're their coach, you're their hero because you're their coach and you always will be. Be the guide instead. Let them experience success and failure on their own and guide them through the process. Mm. And when you do that, you allow other guides to come into your kids' lives, other guides to come into your, your teams because you're not the expert at everything. And so he had done that by humbling himself and allowing me to come in and coach him and help him grow. And had he not done that, then who knows where he'd be. And it was a really rough and rocky process coming out of that. But I had also had resources. I had other friends that had had that happen. I had Bob Bodine, who then not long after, Bob Bodine ended up losing a, a grandchild in a drowning accident not long after. And I was able to connect the two of them. And so I was so proud of him and just how he had grown, but also how he handled the unthinkable, right? And I learned a lot by watching him through that process as well and being there just as a friend to grieve with them and to, to see him move forward. So that's one. I think the other one I would say is, and I can talk about this one openly. It's a good buddy. His name's Luke Freshwater. He's got a great book that has just come out called Bryson the Bison. And it's all about running into the storm. And, you know, buffalo, bison, they run into the storm instead of away from it. They're the only animal that does that. And it's just like in life and as kids, right? We need to run into the storm or teens need to run into the storm, do hard things, be comfortable being uncomfortable. And Luke is a dad of five kids. He's got all girls and just had a boy. Finally, he's a great guy. A couple of years ago, he met some kids who were Nigerian descent, specifically the three boys, single mom, no dad. And they were just on a rough path. Luke got involved in their life, started mentoring them came down to our farm in Nashville. First time for the boys to come out of the state of Ohio. First time they ever saw stars, you know, in the country, not in city with light pollution. First time for this and this and this. I mean, it was life-changing stuff. Luke has just gone so above and beyond. The reason why I tell that story is, you know, to me, he's the dad of the year because he's an awesome dad to his kids, but he's taking the time to say, I've got enough gas in the tank because he's taking care of the four Fs to be able to go and take care and mentor three mm -hmm. other boys who don't have a father in their life and he's giving so much to them and changing their world. And they are where they are today because Luke's taking the time to invest in them. And so to all these coaches that are out there and all these parents that are out there, the key thing is the price of admission is taking care of your own family. And I'm not asking for perfection. I'm asking for presence. Like just be present. Don't be perfect. Like that's not the point. Mm -hmm. I screw up all the time and I'm like in the space, quote unquote. Um, as a coach, same thing, just be present, be engaged, be intentional with your teams and your kids. And if you do that, again, you've got the potential to reach outside of your own family and make impact for generations to come. And that's mm. how we raise good kids that become great adults. I think that's the last thing I'll say is, in you know, all of these circumstances and all the guys that I coach and work with or mentor, it's flipping that mindset of saying, it's not about raising great kids. That's not the point. You want good kids who become great adults because they've done hard things. They've been comfortable being uncomfortable. You've allowed them to fail. You've walked them through that. They failed when they're young and it's inconsequential. 
under your guidance and security, you brought their guides into their lives to help them expand their areas of interest where you may not be your talents, where you're not talented or gifted. And now that's how they grow into adulthood, where they're going to make impact in society, be world changers. And as a parent and as a coach, you have every opportunity to do that. And that's how it's the formula for how it's done. Wow, man, I'm going to be unpacking that for a little while after we finish up here. I, this concept of filling up your own tank as a method of preparing against what will inevitably happen in mortality, right? Like there's a couple of truths in this life. We're all going to die, but we are all going to be faced with serious trials of some kind. All of us will suffer. That is a promise of the moment you're born. And I remember I had some conversations with some friends maybe about 10 years ago and they had a number of kids and, and the mom's comment was, my job is to protect my children. And I remember as a younger dad, when, when we would go out for something and my oldest was finally old enough to babysit, we're like, oh, thank goodness. And, and we said to him, I said, your number one job is keep these kids safe. That's it. I don't care about all the rest of the stuff. <laughs> and in that scenario, that's exactly correct. But as I thought more about it, and as my kids grew, particularly into teenagerhood, so I got my oldest is 23 and married. I got a 20-year-old. I got 18 who just graduated, going to college. What you realize at a certain age is you cannot protect your children unless you keep them in a little padded room all day and all night. You cannot protect them. The only thing you can do and have to do, I think that's, if I were to sum up what you just described, is prepare the children for what life is. And you prepare them by accepting that there's a certain amount of risk. There is. Justin made a post a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a week ago, about a big water slide he built in his backyard into the pool. And I was like, hey, that's really cool. Then I looked in a little closer. I'm like, okay, all right. I could probably even do that, right? It was like put together and you failed a couple times on it and you had to adjust. And at the end of it, there's this video of his kids just loving it, right? Going down, loving it. They didn't call the builder and say, hey, build me this amazing slide into the pool because that didn't matter, right? It was, let's build this together and it'll be fun at the end. What I love about that whole concept, there was risk. There was another risk. There was physical risk. There's also risk of you admitting that you didn't really know what you were doing. And as dads, as coaches, we don't like ever saying or admitting to the people who you said earlier, look up to us as heroes. Yep. We don't like admitting, I don't actually know how to do this. I can't solve this. I need to go figure it out and, and whatever. That element of preparing your kids by accepting those risks, being vulnerable, filling up your tank. And you told me that story about that dad. And I'm like, hey, that story is pretty cool. And then you drop that bomb about their kid who drowned. And I just thought, what a gift. What a gift in those months or a year, however long it was, that he worked with you and filled up his tank so that he was prepared for the suffering that he was going to face and still faces. I know that might, I won't say, let's just say, I know that that suffering doesn't ever really stop. Yeah. So what a gift. And as I hear you talking about this, I'm like, okay, coaches, you may not be the dad of your players, but you absolutely have the opportunity to prepare those children, prepare mm -hmm. them. You love them first and then you teach them. We could seriously talk for like 16 no. hours. So, so um, everything you said is so cool. And I have to just interject and say this. So yeah, please. Both, both the guys I mentioned those stories, I met them both on LinkedIn. Mm. 
that's the coolest thing. We talk about connections, right? Yep. So think yep. about we took that digital connection that bring this full yep. circle, and then it became a personal connection. And then we've you know been kneecap to kneecap, eyeball to eyeball many times, and involved in each other's lives and with each other's mm. kids, and it's been amazing. And I was a- actually able to honor Luke at a the Fatherhood Festival last year with a Fatherhood Dad of the Year Award, Hall of Fame Dad Award. Oh my! And gosh. I gave like Ed McCaffrey and Christian was there, and he brought his dad. Wow. Yeah. He got an award and I gave Singletary and Munoz and all these guys. And then there's Luke, right? And it, he just started, he just started crying. And I was crying because it was so powerful. Like no one had ever honored him for that. And he doesn't do it for honor, right? He does it because it's the right thing to do. And so yeah. he is, but like to have that moment, it was super cool. One thing I want to clarify real quick, and I'm going to give two yeah. things that the whole audience can take away and implement tomorrow. One is that Daddy Saturday is not just about Saturday. Right. And I think some people, times people are like, oh my gosh, I'm busy on Saturday. We have travel yeah. ball. We're always yeah, busy. Yeah, we're yeah. going, we've got a million things going on. You know, <laughs> Sundays are for church or whatever. It's not about that. It's about taking the time that you have and being intentional with it's 15 minutes or five hours. It doesn't matter. That's mm-hmm. the whole point. So just mm-hmm. be intentional in everything that you do. And that's how you make it happen. It doesn't have to be expensive, extravagant, or extraordinary to be epic. It just has to be intentional. True for parenting, true for teams. Two takeaways. We just started doing this. This is, if you're a coach, this will change your world for your team. If it's a, if you're a parent, this will change the world in your family. We leave the best things in the business world in the, in, in the office or at work. We bring the worst things home. Why do we not bring home mission, vision, values, and some of the core things we mm. do in the, in the yep. workspace into our home? We just started implementing this thing. We call it the daily all-in family meeting. Every morning, 7.05 right now because it's summer. It's going to have to move earlier, which my kids weren't excited about when school starts. We all meet in the kitchen. I've got some crazy music playing. We're dancing. We're jumping around. My teenagers are kind of like this, slumping in. Younger boys love it. My wife's like, you're nuts. The dogs are a part of it too. We go in initially and we open up with a, a prayer and a scripture reading and we're all high-fiving, bumping fists. Then we go into wins and priorities. We talk about what was my win or wins from yesterday. What are my top priorities for today? Mm -hmm. I got like a little air horn. We blow the air horn when they say their wins and their priorities. (laughs) It's fun. The way they present it, they can have creativity with it. Then we go into learn and grow. So we're all reading two chairs right now. As a Mm -hmm. family, we're all reading a book together. We talk about one person talks about what's one thing they learned and what's one from what they're reading from the book. And we also use scripture. So from a devotional or, or Bible verse, mm-hmm. and this is fast, like we're moving through this really quickly. Yeah. yeah. Then we move into our, our core values. So we talk about our core values as a family, our mission, our vision, our purpose. We have wow. our family purpose. We have our individual purposes. And then one of the kids will cite those things. And then we'll all point out anybody we saw the day before exemplifying any of those core values mm-hmm. as a family. And it's really cool because it'll talk about, Hey, I saw Blaine yesterday, it wasn't his duty to do the dishes, but Easton was doing it by himself. And so Blaine stepped up and helped Easton last night do the dishes. Mm. And that was really awesome. You know, that was sacrifice and service. Right. And so like my kids are calling out the values that they see in each other now, instead of like dogging each other and just miserable. And the last thing we do is then our family break down. We say a closing prayer. We all put our hands in one person does that. And then they say the prayer. And it was like, we've done spicy burrito. We've done, I don't even know what the one was today. Like they'll come up with the stupidest breakdown cheers, but it's hilarious. <laughs> they have fun with it. Even my teenagers are getting involved in it. And the point is like, we are centered as a family. We're all moving forward as a unit. We're all aware of 
our core values, we're aware of our wins and priorities, and we're looking at that ourselves and then others in our family. It's changed our family culture. We've only been doing it a week, and I can already tell the trajectory is going up and to the right in a massive, major way. So think about if you did that with your company, if you're not doing it yeah. as a leader, with your teams. Because think about it. Kobe Bryant said, if you go more than 12 hours as a professional without practicing your craft, you get rusty. 12 hours. That's why he always had a wow. basketball in his hand every 12 hours. Yep. And yep. so we, we put that principle in place here as a family, as a sales team, right? You go to get on the phones on a Monday morning, you're miserable until like 11 a.m. Those sales calls are brutal. You're terrible. Yeah, that's right. Because you're not warmed <laughs> up. You're not you know, yep. in it. So this meeting does that. It gets all the kids centered and it'll do it for your team, your company, whatever else. So that's takeaway number one. The second one is we do our hill walks. These I'm notoriously posting these Wednesdays are the day. Today, it's, it's heavy day hump day. It's a Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So we do this hill walk on our front. It's a quarter mile up and back. The hill's very steep at the top. We get to the steep part. I say, what part is this? They say it's the easy part. It's the hard part. But they say easy part because it's the power of the spoken word. What you say becomes mm -hmm. true. It's what you believe, mm -hmm. right? About yourself and about your situation. They're practicing this every day. They do something hard at the beginning of their day every day. And on Wednesdays, I carry a hundred pound sandbag. They carry sandbags. And it's because sometimes life is really hard and yeah. there's that extra weight. And, and sometimes you have to let somebody else carry it, right? And take that burden from you. You gotta be willing to give it to them. But also we have to do hard things. And guess what? During the day when something hard comes up against my kids, they look back and they go, I already climbed the hill today. I already carried a yeah. sandbag. Like that was hard. If I did that, I can do this. And so it's mm. just that mentality. Plus we talk, we have connection points. It takes eight minutes. And my kids remember so much from those eight minutes. They love those conversations. You may not have a hill. You may not want to do sandbags. Doesn't matter. Use the time in your car on the way to school or work. Park and go take a walk around the building before you put your kids in for school. Text and call your kids, right? And have that conversation. Hmm. Something as small as that can change everything. It's just being intentional, guys. It's all it comes down to. Those are two examples. And I have failed so many times. I've made so many mistakes. Sometimes people are like, you're super dad. I'm not. I just feel faster than you do. And I've learned from that. And I put some things in place that I hope you can do some R&D on, rip yeah. off and deploy in your own life and your own teams. Oh my gosh, I love it. As we kind of wind down, I think about what you just said as a coach and I'm putting it into that context. Like, all right, I'm probably not every morning going to text all my boy. I coach 15, 16 year old boys. But I can take at every practice, I can take a few minutes in the beginning. And instead of just saying, hey, this is what practice is going to look like, I can talk about what are our values? What is it that drives, why am I coaching you? Why do I do this for free, which my wife still loves? <laughs> you know, why do I spend all these hours with you? And why do you spend all these hours with me and with each other? Well, these boys come from all different kinds of families and backgrounds. But I'm loving that idea of, of setting aside some time to talk in that way with these kids. I think it's right on the money. This will be my last question for you, and then we'll wrap up. It has to do with teenagers. I've only ever coached boys. I only have sons. I don't have any sisters. So I have very little experience with girls, teenage girls. But I understand at a certain age, 11, 12, boys, maybe 13, 14, their view of themselves changes. Their view of the world changes the pressures on them just go up exponentially. As you talk about what you're doing with dads and you see the change in them, what do you see ha that have been the impact on these teenagers from dads who have embraced these four Fs and have been filling up their tanks 
and are being more present, not perfect, but present. How have you seen their teenagers affected? So from a dad standpoint with daughters, two things, and this, the, the first one would go for coaches too, and this may come as a shock and a bit of abrasive for your audience, but don't look at porn. Mm. And, and mm -hmm. I say that because the results show that when a man looks at porn, oftentimes he's seeing a young girl that looks like mm -hmm. his daughter or her daughter's yep. friends, and then it causes him to become disengaged and distant physically from his daughter because of obviously the conflict that's yep. associated there. And so the simple touch or the little hug or the, you know, yep. the scratch in the back of the head or whatever it is, right? The high five now becomes pulled back and the daughter notices yep. that and she feels that whether it's conscious or subconscious mm. and that one withdrawal causes a void. That void multiplies over time and then it causes a massive problem down the road in terms of her yep. identity or sense of self-worth, et cetera. And I would say that's true for coaches just as much as it is for, yep. for parents. So that's one. The second one would be that for young girls, it's important to, as a parent, especially daddy, daughter, date night, man, we yeah. do those show them again, model what you want them to look for yeah. in a man. Again, it's not perfection, but like open the door and respect, talk to yeah. her, say the things that I said, respect the way you treat the other people that you're around on that opportunity. I mean, it's, it's so important. I've been doing it with my daughter since she's been three. We don't do them as often as we want to and as a teenager. Now, sometimes it's more difficult, but yep. like we still do it. I think it's important and imperative. And it's finding that one-on-one -on -one time. So what is it for, for you with that individual daughter? Because here's the thing, it's all about communication. If you want the relationship, you have to have communication. And the better communication you have, the more opportunities you're gonna have where mm. later in life, when they start to pull away, they're gonna come back to you and ask you those important questions when they're having a hard time or they need your help. But if that relationship is severed because you don't have the communication, then that's not gonna happen. Or because they come back to you Again, as a dad or a coach, doesn't matter because you're always critical and you always provide the solutions and you jump right into it, right? And yep. you talk down to yep. them, which I'm notorious for doing because yep. what our nature is, we want to solve it, we want to fix it. Yep. So just listening and being there as a support mechanism and having empathy and helping them move their way to their own solution. So I think that's important for young girls. For young boys, I believe it's that hard things are important for young girls too, but I think it's far more important for young boys. And that you need to help them see that they can do hard things and they can, they can lead well and showing them what mm -hmm. that looks like um, and that they have boldness and they have what's inside of them, what, what a man looks like. I think it's so misconstrued today. And you know, as young boys yeah. moving towards manhood, how do we help them see what a man looks like? And a lot of that's through our own actions, but it's also helping them yeah. model those character traits. And I believe a lot of that's by doing hard things and overcoming that. We live in a farm. My boys have lots of hard stuff to do around here. Oh, yeah. They treat their mom like crap. They have to go shovel crap. I have the luxury of being able to do that. And so I think that, you know, that's important to help them understand and, and model. But again, with boys, it's the same thing. Like I can be super critical and like hard on my boys. The hardest part of parenting is parenting the you out of your child or the yep. you out of oh, your, geez. Oh, the hardest my part gosh, of coaching yes. is coaching the you out of your, out of your team. Yes. You members, right? Like you see the worst parts of you and that kid. That you're coaching, you're like, that was me. I was a little, you know, S head when I was head age and a complete <laughs> jerk. And, you know, my, my kids, it's going to be the same thing. I got two boys that are just like me. They're challengers. That can be difficult, especially yeah. with boys. So it's recognizing that and saying, okay, if I'm always being critical, if I'm always coming down on them and I'm not flipping that around and I'm not positive, then here's the point. They're going to continue to do more of the negative 
and the, the thing you don't want to see instead of the opposite. So compliment, pull out, hyper-focus on the things that they are doing well, even if it's hard at times, it's like, you didn't do anything today, but bad stuff. Find yeah. the good and focus on yeah. that. I think that yeah. that is the key with teenagers. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. I think this has been an unbelievably fruitful conversation. And, and I know that the vast majority <laughs> of my listeners are, are parents, right? Not all of them but most of them are either coaches or parents of kids who are playing for coaches. So there's this tie in with family and with sports that I think is really important. And the things I've learned from you, I feel like you just gave me a, like a personal coaching session and I'm a pretty <laughs> self-aware guy, sometimes too critical of myself. And, and I, but I understand my weaknesses. I have weaknesses. I understand them, but I'm hearing you talk about, and I have like a half a page of notes I've been writing down on my right. I'm like, okay, he's giving me good stuff here that I'm going to be thinking about both as for my team but also for my kids. And Justin, so as we wrap up, I believe, I think you believe that the family is the bedrock of a society that's going to persist and be successful and happy. Dads who, let's say, embrace, embrace their, role their role intentionally, intentionally right? right? And, and coaches too, who see that the greatest work they're ever going to do is within the four walls of their home. They are the ones who are going to change the world. And I think the best part about what I just said is that every single dad and every single coach on the planet is capable of doing that. This is not some elite special forces dads that, that there's only 2% of us that can ever be what you just described. No, it's taking a look at those four buckets and being intentional about how do I start moving from the bottom left to the top right. And it's in the journey and it's in the effort and the demonstration to the people around you that you are making the effort that is the thing that lifts and connects these kids to you and in your family. I mean, it's not about getting there at the end. It's about you guys are worth this effort and I am worth this effort. And we're going to, I just got chill bumps and we're going to do this together because this is the most important thing. So all you dads, whether you're involved in youth sports or not, there is a war on for our kids. And there's a war on against our families. And I hope that you will join Justin and myself and people who are just out here trying to love the kids and help them grow in fighting for them in their future. Justin, this has been amazing. I will put links to all of your stuff in the show notes. Check out his book, his podcasts, all of his great stuff. In fact, I want to know more about that. Daddy, what was that event that you handed? I will have to talk about that. So that sounds pretty awesome. So as always, I'm Coach Dave. Be kid first. Have a good one. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review. Share it with all your friends. Tune in for new episodes of the Dad Bod Soccer Podcast as we grow this movement to keep youth sports about the kids. As always, love the kids, love the game, Dad Bod Soccer.